Greetings in the worthy name of the Lord Jesus. I appreciated the service up to this point. Brother David, I was going to uh, look for that verse there in Psalms where it speaks about the oil running down off of Aaron's beard. Maybe um, maybe it didn't feel quite the same. In that particular case, it's an illustration of blessing. <laughs> A little different. <clears throat> also, um, enjoyed uh, the uh, devotional and the sharing time. And uh, I guess I particularly want to thank you, Myron, for just sharing from your heart a bit. I would have to say it took my uh, it took my thoughts back some in years gone by. When would we say that uh, there was much more? Oh, it seemed to be much more sharing from the heart and brokenness. And God was speaking to our hearts in a service and after a service and a testimony time at the end. And I'm probably going back many years. When those things were present and, uh, and sometimes they feel a bit missing. Even in my own heart, um, and God did use it to touch my heart this morning, because uh, there were clamorings of it that needed to cease. So thank you, brother. This morning I'm going to invite your attention again to the same subject that I spoke in a devotional some weeks ago, and as I look back just a bit in what I may have shared in, in uh, a time or two in the past year, I realized that I seem to be a little bit stuck on a subject and I think it's probably okay, because it is a subject that I probably need. I don't know if you recall the last time I shared in a devotion. I think it was the last time I shared in a devotional here. I talked about the gospel trio, the uh, area or the uh, concept of faith, love, and hope, and talked a bit about the various uh, times that those three concepts are together in scripture and we looked at a number of scriptures uh, where that's the case brother Matt Feener's father was here that day and at the end of the service after the service he uh, he just pointed out to me he said recently in my reading of Hebrews he said I uh, I noticed the theme of obviously faith is in Hebrews chapter 11 and uh, 
the uh, theme of hope is Hebrews chapter 12, and the theme of love is Hebrews chapter 13. And he had this written in the top of each chapter, and I, uh, we looked at it just a little bit, and I, yeah, it's there. It's clearly there. In fact, it's so clearly there that you might wonder why you didn't see it before. So those three uh, concepts, faith, love, and hope. This morning, I'm going to uh, focus on faith uh, and just elaborate a bit on faith, hopefully. First Corinthians 13, verse 13 says, Now abide by the faith, hope, charity, or as we would often say, love, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Now, should we deduct from that verse that uh, we don't need to focus on faith and hope since charity is the greatest? Or are faith and hope also uh, important subjects of the scriptures? I found an interesting uh, <clears throat> thought in uh, in studies, and I know I've I've I'm sure I've found it and even referred to it before in years gone by. But it's interesting. Um, I don't know if we realize, but our English word faith. It, if you just search faith in your uh, Bible concordance, uh, at least my Bible program, it brought the word up 231 times in the Bible, the word faith. Out of those 231 times, 229 are in the New Testament, and two are in the Old Testament. Now, that doesn't mean that faith wasn't a part of the Old Testament, quite obviously, when we uh, we'll look at some uh, men of faith in, uh, in the message this morning. But it's interesting that the subject of faith becomes a much, much more predominant subject in the New Testament than it did in the Old, uh, at least in the, uh, the discussion and subject of teaching and so forth that... Uh, is presented in the New Testament. <clears throat> so while the concept was in the Old Testament, it surely is highlighted uh, in the New. You know, there's uh, there's faith, there's different, people's faith is described in different ways. And I thought, well, how would my faith be described? We could all ask ourselves that question. How would my faith be described? Uh, we'll look at some verses. The Lord Jesus actually, uh, he gave a little bit of definition to a few people's faith in the scriptures, in, in, his, in, in his encounters with people. And, uh, yeah, we'll just look at a couple verses. The first one is Matthew 6, verse 30. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So the first uh, concept or description of faith that I'd like to 
just lift out of scripture a little bit is the idea of little faith. Uh, scripture says it a number of times. Jesus says it a number of times. That's Matthew, Matthew 6.30 in light of uh, our everyday needs, in light of uh, that we, would, uh, we wouldn't be of little faith. In Matthew 8.26, And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? And then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Um, if you would have been one of those, do you, uh, do you suppose that it would have went down just a little bit hard to be said that you have little faith? Why are you scared? I mean, it's a storm, it's blowing, it's rocking, and water's coming in the boat, and... Oh, why are you scared? You have little faith. And the next one is in Matthew fourteen thirty one. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And that's Peter walking on the water. Uh, or rather, I should say Peter sinking. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, it's Jesus describes it as a little faith. Why did you doubt? <clears throat> In Matthew sixteen eighteen, again he's speaking to his disciples when which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because ye have brought no bread? Um, so there we have the description of little faith, you know, just a, it's small, it's not what it should be. Perhaps it's it's uh, maybe we'd say it's insufficient faith. It's not uh, sufficient faith for the hour, for the moment, for the the event at hand. <clears throat> and then Jesus describes a great faith. And uh, the inter- interesting thing is that great faith is didn't come from the quote religious community of the day. Uh, in Matthew 8, 9 through 10, this uh, centurion had come to Jesus and he says, For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed him, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Uh, there there he uh, he looks at the situation and and marvels. Isn't that isn't that a almost a, isn't it almost a marvel that our Lord marveled at a man's faith? Uh, but there was a centurion, and uh, he apparently had total persuasion that uh, this uh, Jesus is who he said he is, and who he's and and is able to do what he's asking of him. <clears throat> so he speaks. Uh, he calls that a great faith. In James 2.17, it says this, Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. And there we have a dead faith. A faith that has no life, no reality, no, no power. Uh, we also have a description of a failing faith in uh, Luke 22, 31 and 32. The Lord Jesus says to Simon, 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 behold, Satan hath desired to have you, and to, that he may sift you as wheat. 
But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And, well, I guess we can say his faith didn't really fail, but it faltered. And it came around. Uh, But Jesus... Jesus was concerned that his faith would fail. And I suppose it would be safe to say that uh, if Peter, who was at that point walking right with our Lord uh, in his presence, and uh, the Lord Jesus recognized the danger or the possibility of his faith failing, I suppose that it would serve as a, uh, a reminder or a warning to us that as we go through life's uh, complexities, there's possibilities that our faith can fail also in the middle of uh, difficult situations, which is what Peter was about to face, probably the most difficult situation he ever faced. <clears throat> We have uh, also the trial or the trying of, our, of, our, of your faith. James 1, 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Uh, Peter calls it a trial of your faith. First uh, Peter 1, 7 to 9, that the trial of your faith being more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen ye love, in whom though ye see him not yet, believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. There we have the end of your faith. Uh, receiving the end of your faith. So we have, uh, we've looked at a little faith, we've looked at a great faith, we've looked at a dead faith, a failing faith, a no faith. Uh, Okay, I don't believe I read that verse in Mark 4, verse 40. Uh, again, the, the situation in the boat, I believe it is. And he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? So we have no faith. We have the trying of our faith. We have the trial of faith. Then we have the end of our faith, which is the salvation of our souls. <clears throat> so. We've looked at a bit of uh, those descriptions in Scripture, and I'm not sure how you would rate your faith, and I'm not sure if I know how to rate mine. Maybe uh, maybe we'd have to let others rate it for us. But maybe we could ask the question, what, what is faith? You know, we um, Jesus, uh, he spoke to some of those around him and called their faith little. The centurion, he called his faith great. Looked at the disciples and said, you have no faith. Uh, what is faith? Is it, is, it, uh, is it some mysterious thing that we just kind of hope for, grapple with, hope exists in our experience or... What does it look like? How does it uh, work itself out? There's a verse in Hebrews, and there would probably be more than one verse in Hebrews that would help us with that. But let's uh, consider Hebrews 6, or excuse me, Hebrews 11, verse 6. Uh, 
as we think about what is faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says this, But without faith it is impossible to please him. And maybe that answers an earlier question that I said, uh, I raised, whether since 1 Corinthians says that the greatest of these is charity, is there any reason to focus on faith? Is there any reason to pay attention to faith? And we discover rather quickly that there is. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So it's one ingredient in our lives that must be there if we're going to please God. So what is faith? For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Now, that's just a simple little phrase there, that he is. (laughs) He that comes to God must believe that he is. I think it serves that uh, we would give it just a little more definition. Perhaps we would say, first of all, that he is that he exists, that he is who he uh, declares himself to be, that that he is, in fact, in control, that he is, in fact, the, uh, there is no power, there is no authority, there is absolutely nothing that is greater than him, that he is, that's what it means, uh, he is totally at the top of it all, and uh, he that comes to God must believe that, that God is in fact uh, totally at the top, that there is no power greater than his, that there is nothing happening that he has not already approved in the sense of uh, uh, that he'll allow it to happen. Uh, It's not just the power of man. You know, uh, Hitler was not just a powerful man. If God would have decided that Hitler won't do what he, you know, that uh, that Hitler won't do what he did, he wouldn't have done it. (laughs) God could have stopped that thing right there if he'd have wanted to. God was more powerful than all the events uh, that surrounded Hitler. Uh, Or any other catastrophic situation. Uh, you know, it's often in those types of situations that we wonder, where is God? People wonder, where is God? He that comes to God must believe that he is. And, and that basically means that he is, uh, he is the, he is the top man. He is not, you know, man isn't the right word, but he is the top being. And there is, there is never, uh, Anyone, anything, any power, any being going to uh, be superior to God. <clears throat> so God is. And when, when, when uh, we're convinced that God is, then that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. <clears throat> We'd like to look at several uh, scriptural uh, examples of this very, very thing that we've just looked at. And the first one I'd like to draw our attention to is in Daniel 
chapter 3, verse 16 to 18, which is the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, familiar one to us. I'll just read those few verses. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. And I, uh, I believe that word careful would simply mean we are not hesitant. We are not anxious. We are not, uh, we don't have to think twice. We've got an answer for you, king. And it's clear and it's settled in our minds. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. So that's a fact. He is able to deliver us. King Nebuchadnezzar, what, what are these three men saying? They're saying, God is. God is. King Nebuchadnezzar, it really doesn't matter uh, what you do. doesn't matter how hot you make the furnace. Uh, God is. And we see it more as, it, as it, we look at the rest of their declaration. God is, uh, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. And then it goes on, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So, and we, we have to understand the context in what they're saying there. Um, to them, it doesn't matter whether God delivers them out of the furnace or not. God still is. God is. And that was firmly entrenched in their hearts. And without apology, without hesitation, without consideration, uh, they just told the king, this is the fact of the matter. Uh, whatever God chooses, however he chooses to handle this matter, matters not to us. We're not going to bow. He's our God. He's faithful. And whatever the end result is, is up, totally up to him. <clears throat> and so we, there, there we have an example of uh, three men who, in a time of trial of their faith, they were firmly persuaded that God is. That he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And the thing that is important for us to recognize, remember is that it didn't matter. You know, we have the end of the story. Uh, we know they were delivered from the fiery furnace. And so it looks like a great victory for God. But bottom line is, uh, if God would have chosen a different path, it still would not have uh, lessened God's uh, power, God's uh, reality, the reality that God is. <clears throat> their faith in this situation was demonstrated by their obedience, irregardless of the outcome. It, you know, it to them it didn't matter. Uh, they were firmly persuaded that God is. Another example I'd like to uh, look at is that of Abraham and Sarah. And uh, we'll look at the uh, scripture in Hebrews on this one. First of all, the one on uh, 
in Hebrews 11:11 says this through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised You know, it's interesting how the Hebrew writer writes that. If we go back into uh, the actual account, we, those of us who are familiar with it, know that she actually laughed and kind of scorned the idea sort of a bit. But uh, nonetheless, she, she's listed as a woman of faith here. Uh, but again, it's an example uh, where... In whatever, uh, you know, in some capacity, she, they, they came to faith. Abraham and, and Sarah came to faith that God is, in fact, going to do this. God said he would, and he's going to do it. Uh, and in that particular situation, it was a dead womb which came to life again, and she gave birth to a son. And then, of course, just a couple of verses later, in uh, verse 17, we have God asking uh, Abraham to offer up his son, uh, the very promised son. And so we have uh, verse 17 to 19, by faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he had received him in a figure. Uh, so there we have uh, Abraham taking Isaac his son, and again, uh, totally believing God, totally believing that this is the promised son, that this is uh, the one who uh, would propel the generation of of Abraham forward and took him out to offer him as a sacrifice to God. Totally persuaded that God will still do it. That God is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Another example... And one that can be important to us also, and this one is in First Chronicles. It's the uh, it's the example, or yeah, the uh, situation where David numbered the people, and he wasn't uh, wasn't supposed to disobeyed God. Uh, I just turned to this scripture, First Chronicles twenty one. says in verse 1, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And then in verse 7, it says, And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he smote Israel. And God, David said unto God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I beseech thee, do away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. And he continues on, uh, the, uh, the prophet Gad comes to David, and uh, God actually offered David three 
uh, punishments for his sin, and David needed to choose. God sends Gad in, in verse 11, So Gad came to David and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Choose thee either three years of famine or three months to be destroyed before the, thy foes while, with, while that the sword of thine enemies overtaketh thee, or else three days the sword of the Lord, even the pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the coasts of Israel. Now therefore advise thyself what word I shall bring again to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord, for very great are his mercies, but let me not fall into the hand of men. And that's an interesting uh, observation there that uh, David in, in the middle of that situation, and I just reminded of the little uh, uh, you, get, you remember this thing here that I used to la- And in this case, we have David's sin. And in the middle of that situation, uh, David expresses a clear faith in God also, in that he uh, he chose to to allow, allow God to be the one who deals with him as opposed to to uh, allowing uh, he, he, he trusted in God and, and the mercy of God as opposed to the, the hand of men I guess you would say <clears throat> but it's, again it's an example of faith and uh, uh, and again recognizing that in all of these situations that we've looked at so far God is always on the on this side of the equation, like uh, I had mentioned a few weeks back, God is always on that side of the equation. He's the greater of any situation. You know, when we think about faith in God and what it looks like <clears throat> in real life, <clears throat> uh, we could also think about the uh, the situation with Moses when he was a little child and had to go live with the heathen for how many years of his life. And yet, uh, in that, God was still God. God was still in control. God was still the greatest uh, of all beings. Or the 40 years that he spent in the, in the desert caring for sheep. In, in a sense, uh, one could think they were wasted years, but they weren't. God was still, God is, uh, God was still in control. Uh, we could think about the uh, the example of Joseph and his uh, how he was sold by his brothers. We could say we would in that situation we might say it was a righteous man suffering at the hand of unrighteous men. Uh, we have a father bereaved of his son. We have a, a son bereaved of his fa- life and his family and and. Uh, all that entails, taken away from his family, from his home, from his home country. And it could all seem uh, 
it all it all seems very cruel, very harsh, and very uh, almost wow. And yet, God is. You know, God was there. God uh, God was not uh, hiding somewhere or had sort of forgotten. Or uh, God still, uh, God is. <clears throat> You know, in these situations, of course, in these scriptural situations, we see the whole picture. We we see the ending. You know, the uh, the situation is unfolded before us all the way through, and we see. Or let me say this first of all: in in many of these situations that we've looked at, but let's consider let's consider Hebrews eleven. 36 and 37. Where the scripture says this in verse 36. And and others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. Were tempted. Were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute and afflicted and tormented. Now that that group, we don't, you know, we don't see a picture that ends in some great uh, thing, you know, like Moses' life did, or like uh, like Joseph, for example, where uh, and yet. Uh, are we persuaded that God is just as much in this situation as he is in the other situations that we looked at? Are we persuaded that God is just as real, just as powerful, just as much on the throne, just as much uh, in control in these situations that turn out different? That we never have a glorious victory in the end, you would say, uh, You know, the thing to remember is that um, the real victory is not really what happens in this life. God uses uh, different people in different ways in the journey, like he used Moses, like he used Joseph, like he used... But really, the end objective is an eternal kingdom. Uh and however God uses a person in that objective really is no difference. Uh, you know, if the ending doesn't appear to be that great in this life, be assured it's it'll be great in the next. It'll uh, it's all part of the picture that God has uh, in the eternal kingdom. So we look at faith and it's, uh, it's how it's worked out and, and how it worked in some uh, people's lives. But now it's our turn. Now we're the ones in the uh, arena of life. Now we're the ones who uh, are writing history or our lives are writing history. <clears throat> And we are living in a uh, 
an age of complexities, for sure. Uh, you know, there's almost a sense in which uh, human, the human race is almost, uh, they're almost outgrowing themselves. Their, their, uh, their ability to create uh, this technology and everything else, this, this massive ability that they've come up, uh, they, they, they've almost outgrown out, uh, themselves in the sense that they've created more than they can control. Uh, uh, the very things they've created are destroying them. The very things that have been uh, created are uh, causing them more and more problems. Uh, um, and it will probably only continue. Uh, and that's the age that God happened to put you and I in. God happened to allow you and I to be a alive in this world today with all its uh, complexities. And the, uh, the rapidly changing environment in which we live affects everyone and everything and will continue to do so. You know, I remember as a, as a boy a bit, you know, I grew up in a very small world I went a half, went a mile and a half, one direction to school. I went a three quarters, maybe a half a mile to three quarters, the other direction to church. And uh, the hardware store was only ten miles away at the most, and lived in a very small world, a very secure world actually. And uh, and it's probably only been after I was married about five years or even more, even probably even more, until I began to realize that this old world is not very secure in the sense that uh, that security that I had felt over the years and in our culture and all that, and that um, this culture is a secure place, and it really doesn't matter what happens in the world. You know, you're in a culture that's secure. But, you know... Uh, that that carpet has sort of been tugged out from under everyone, really. Uh, though there is value, I think, and and I think we should continue to try to maintain cultures for our people. In fact, we need to in a in this in this society and world that we live in. But to live in denial of uh, the fact that this culture is changing us is not going to. Uh, get us very far because is this 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 culture around us this changing world culture of uh, it, it's it's affecting everyone and uh, if we try to deny it and and believe that we can cement ourselves into an existence that we can maintain for a hundred years uh, it just it just won't happen um,
I'm, re- I'm reminded of us, uh, and this has happened in various situations where in an effort to maintain a culture, uh, there were, you know, there were churches have drawn lines on things like Internet and all those kind of things. And men have sold businesses to other businesses in order because they couldn't uh, continue without Internet only to have the same men sitting in the same office chairs using the Internet to do run the business that they no longer own. Those kind of things have happened. And there's an example of endeavoring to maintain, uh, trying not to let the changing worldly culture, uh, trying not to, uh, oh, what was my word, trying not to be affected by it but all the while being affected by it. So we live in this culture and we will be affected by it. We've been affected by it. But the question that remains is, uh, will we be, will we be men and women of faith? Will we believe that God is? right where we're at today, right in the culture where we live, will we continue to believe that God is, that these things are not a surprise to God? They are not. There's nothing coming down the road that is a surprise to God. There's nothing going to... uh, uh, The the cultures of this world are not going to somehow shape up in a a fashion that's going to surprise God. He already knows what it's going to look like in 10 years and 20 years and 30 years. Godlessness will increase. Godliness will be less and less appreciated in, uh, in this culture uh, that we live in in this world. <clears throat> and you and I will face challenges daily, you know, uh, as we relate to it all. And the question is, will we be persuaded in our own hearts that God is right here, right now, in in this scene of, of events, in this scene of things that are going on, in this scene of uh, reality, uh, God is. You know, we, we have unprecedented... Uh, shootings going on in public places and they will continue and probably somewhere down the road someone will come up with a new idea of terror and we'll see a something else unfold a dozen times uh, it's going to happen um, and it probably won't always be in some distant place Um, But are we going to be persuaded, are we persuaded, that even now, God is. God is. And that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Um, You know, the reward... 
the reward may not always look quite the way we want it to. But uh, I think part of the reward is what Brother Myron described as strivings cease. You know, as we go through life and life's complexities and things get, uh, things are the way they are in our world. And there could be anxieties, there could be uh, questions, there could be strivings in our hearts and wonderings and, and so forth. But perhaps some of what uh, the rewards that God gives for his people in the middle of these kind of situations is that those strivings can cease and that our hearts can be at rest that God is and that he is the rewarder, irregardless of the uh, changing events of, our, of the world scene. I'm not sure if I ever gave a title to the message, and I'm wrapping it up here, but... Uh, and probably the reason I didn't is because I have two titles, and I'm not sure which one to give it. The one title is simply, God is. The other title is, Faith, a Mystery or a Reality. Uh, you know, as we look at uh, some of these examples in scriptures, it was that their faith was not a mystery. It was not a... Uh, Something you couldn't put a finger on. It was a reality in their experience. They simply were persuaded that God is that chief authority and they ordered their lives accordingly. That's the long and short of it. That's the simple definition. They believed that God is. He's the one in authority. He's the one in control. And they ordered their lives accordingly. That's all you really need, right? Believe that God is. That he's the one in that's in control. And then order your life accordingly. May we just uh, bow our heads for a moment. Father, we, we thank you this morning that we have biblical examples of faith. We have teachings regarding faith. Lord, with the disciples, we say, help our unbelief. Lord, help us to really understand faith. Help me to understand it. Help me to live in its reality. Help each one of us here to understand it and to live in its reality. Father, we know that you are with us. You are uh, each one of us personally in our lives. And there's probably those little uh, and maybe even big things in our experience that we wonder about at times. And today we want to again confess with our hearts, with our lips, that uh, you are. We believe that. God is. He is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Father, we put our faith and trust in you and ask you to, to help us to grow in that and to uh, be able to go through life with that kind of trust that we have seen in some of these scriptural examples and that it can make a difference in our own experience and in the uh, lives of those that we meet, the lives of those we rub shoulders with. Uh, would you uh, would you bless us to that end, Lord, to be 
men and women of faith. Thank you again. Thank you for each one present. I ask your blessing as you are the one who understands each person, each need, each reality, each desire. May your spirit minister today and give uh, grace and courage and hope in the midst of life's uh, situations. Thank you, Father. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>